By the way, you picked literally the most complex topic to talk about. Good. I'm not sure if you're aware about that, but I ran into Carl Rickadon <laughs> upstairs and I was like, hey, uh, this is what I'm about to talk about. He was like, good luck. This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, January 14th. I'm Tori Stilwell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I am joined by my co-host Aki Ito, our editor for Benchmark, who has completed her move to Tokyo and is joining us as the Tokyo Bureau Chief. Welcome, Aki! Hey, Tori. How's it going? It's going great. How's Tokyo? It's it's great. It snowed yesterday, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. Does that happen often in Tokyo? Not not that often. Maybe a couple times a year, but it's usually too warm for the snow to actually stick on the ground. So no, no snowmen. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, welcome. You're you're like in tomorrow right now, which is pretty cool. Correct. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the future. Right. Well, uh, you've been gone for a couple days, so I wanted to fill you in on probably the biggest topic that's happened since you've been away, but it's also an issue Mm -hmm. that's pretty close to you all um, in Asia as well. And that has been just the massive amount of turbulence that has rocked stock markets around the world so far this year. It all started with China, which already has a notoriously volatile stock market because there's so much participation from retail investors, individual investors, not, you know, the big groups that we think of here in the U.S. So there was a sell-off in China. It was apparently sparked by fears about the government's ability to manage the economy, as well as the, the, the drop in the yuan. And that unease spread around the world last week. In the U.S., the Standard & Poor's 500 index posted its worst-ever start to the year, losing 6% of its value. And I guess we touched on a lot of these problems that China is currently facing back in September when we first started the show. And it seems like investors are still worried about uh, a lot of those issues that we discussed with Ken at the time. But really, you know, how much has changed in China between the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016 to warrant, you know, an additional sell-off like this. Looking at economic conditions, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot. There hasn't been a sharp slowdown, and it's just kind of this trend towards softer growth that's been there for a while. Exactly. And all that got us thinking, how much of a connection actually exists between a nation's stock market and its economy? How often do stock markets tank because the economy is suffering? And how often is a route mostly just nervous investors following the herd and freaking out? And then we also want to take a look at the reverse. When does a crumbling stock market start hurting the real economy and how exactly would that happen? Well, lucky for us to answer these questions and more, we're bringing on Oliver Rennick, our colleague on the stocks team in New York. Hey, Oliver. Hey, guys. How's it going? Oliver, what's kind of your typical day like? 
Yeah, so uh, I cover U.S. equities um, uh, in New York. Largely, a lot of what we do is uh, sort of analysis of what's happening during the day and uh, a lot of analysis of what just happened. So as opposed to some more traditional journalistic beats as people think about it, where they break news and move markets, ideally at Bloomberg, a lot of what we do is trying to figure out what's happening and, and what happened. And uh, the best we can do is, is try and find some kind of reason, as many uh, readers happily write into us, that, oh, you know, you're... Uh, assessment of what happened in the stock market days uh, is the exact same explanation you had for when it was down as when it was up, etc. <laughs> Basically, it's mean, <laughs> your full baloney. Right. It's some people would argue, but uh, we try to do a good job characterizing what's happening. Um, more so what is happening rather than why, but uh, and then we'll also dive a little deeper looking into sort of the granulars of the market, uh, whether it's derivatives, volatility, earnings, uh, stuff like that that is going to be uh, that is going to pertain to somebody who is has money at stake. Well, let's start by zooming out and defining what exactly the stock market is. Not not just like, oh, it's this index and it's got all these different member companies in it. Like years ago, I learned in my introductory finance or economics classes that the stock market measures investors' perceptions of future earnings of companies. Is that roughly right? Any other way we should be thinking of it? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty solid. Um, I think that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty you. good assessment. I think another way to sort of phrase that same idea that's really about allocation of capital. Um, so what you're talking about is generally sort of the, the market moves, and, and this is touching on the same idea. Anytime you have a stock that loses value or it uh, gains value, what that is doing is telling you that investors then think that their money is going to get better use elsewhere. If Microsoft is down one day, it may not mean that investors are uh, very bearish on Microsoft and that they think that the company is you know, going to lose money over the next however many years or quarters. What it might mean is that they just think their money is better allocated with Apple or, um, or something totally unrelated like a Biogen, you know, a biotech stock or something like that. So, Oliver, you cover the U.S. markets, and this has been a really terrible start to 2016. Tell us what's going on here and why the stock markets have dominated headlines in recent days. Yeah, it has. Uh, you know, it's good as a stock markets reporter because volatility means uh, people want to ask questions. It's funny. job security. Yeah, when, uh, when, same uh, when for us economics reporters. Yeah, when there's green on the tape every day, people just kind of let it go and they don't ask a lot of questions. But you get red and you get some volatility, and suddenly a lot of demand for uh, stock reporters. So basically, I mean, this year you have a lot of things that have sort of been a benefit to stocks that are starting to fall away. Interest rate policy has now changed. You don't have the easy policy. Uh, you can start to see value in other assets apart from stocks. And then you have the global growth issue, which sort of overhangs on everything. And then, of course, in tandem with that comes this commodity issues. Bloomberg Commodity Index got crushed again today. That's mm-hmm. starting to have effects outside of the energy space, industrials, materials. People start to wonder how far that could spread. So is it just people worry about companies' profits, or they're just scared in general about what global growth is going to be like? Because I know the outlook for global growth hasn't been amazing for even the last couple years, I would say. Um, why is all this coming crashing down now, and why is fear about other markets, particularly China, even affecting the U.S. markets if consumers are still buying stuff here, if job growth looks great as it has the last few months? 
Right. No, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that's part of the reason why people are getting embarrassed right now, because they look to the future and there's not a whole lot of um, encouragement. When you look out to earnings over the course of the next two quarters, we've got negative expectations for earnings and quite negative. Next quarter is going to uh, be the fourth quarter consecutive in which we've dropped third quarter year over year drop. And you're going to see earnings down roughly six to seven percent. So when you look at the other side, the, the, the grass doesn't exactly look necessarily greener. Um, and then the other thing about global growth. Yes, this is the story that's been going, but now without sort of the backstop of lower interest rates, without the backstop of cheap financing that eventually will start to get a little bit more expensive and you'll have some of the the buybacks, the dividends. Uh, as those types of things fade away, you start to wonder what's going to prop up stocks. Hopefully it would be earnings, but if they're not there, then you really start to question things. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, the three of us are immersed in financial and economic news on a daily basis, but most people aren't. And as a result, much of what they think about the state of economy is probably based off of a combination of three things, their paycheck, gas prices, or the stock market. I mean, my mom, who some of our listeners may remember from a previous episode, she does not care about the stock market. Um, you know, she has a car, she has a paycheck, but the stock market could is probably one of the things furthest from her mind. But even she texted me last week, Ollie, being like, what's going on with the stock market? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, does does this mean that the stock market is, is reflective of what's going on in the economy? And mom should be freaking out about her job. Is it reflective of it or is it affecting it? Let's hit that first piece first. first the short know. answer is uh, your mom probably shouldn't uh, get too upset. Um, overall, the U.S. economy is strong. And when you look at people, uh, strategists across the market, and you ask them what their most uh, bullish case is based on, it's the, based on the fact that the U.S. economy is still the best house on the block. Um, but that being said, the, the stock market and the economy are obviously uh, linked. To try and draw conclusions about what the economy uh, can say about the stock market and vice versa, it gets very complicated. But here's what we can say to touch on the first part. is that Historically speaking, stock market weakness does sometimes uh, presage a recession in the economy. What it needs to be is not a 7 10% route in stocks, not a 7% route since the beginning of the year, 5%, whatever, out after today, that should really start getting, getting you thinking about where the economy is going. It's the 20% or more declines, the bear markets in stocks, that have occurred um, 13 times since the Great Depression. And now, 10 of them preceded U.S. recessions. So that's a mm. pretty good rate yeah. when you look at those type of declines. Um, but just because you know you have volatility increasing, just because you have a different stock market trading environment where you get bigger ups and bigger downs, it's no reason to you know panic and start looking for other jobs, etc. The stock market is included in the conference board's index of leading economic indicators for just that reason. It does have some sort of predictive value, and roughly over the course of many, many, many business cycles, they are correlated. Um, so we know that there is a link there. And also, going back to what we talked about with future earnings, if the stock market is going down, people probably think that future earnings aren't looking very good, uh, which may mean that consumers and businesses aren't buying as much stuff. And given that consumption is 70% of the economy, that's not really a, a great picture. Right. Yeah, of course not. Um, the other thing that I think a lot of people are waiting for is the boon. As you mentioned, okay, you, as, as an average American, you look at your paycheck, you look at gas prices, you look at where your money's coming in and where it's going out. And one of the things a lot of people have been waiting for to have a, a boost to the economy is the lower oil prices. But in fact, this is just sort of a, a, a 
a good example of how things are so interrelated. You would think that lower oil prices would have a big boon on the consumer spending that they would go out and spend, but we haven't really quite seen that impact that we have from the practical tax break that comes with lower oil because, in fact, we're still kind of coming out of a period from 2007, 2008, a recession in which people still are paying down debts, in which they're still more interested in saving. They're a little bit scarred from that period, uh, and so they're not quite putting that money to work as you might think. Uh, so that sort of relationship between the economy and stocks, it's not always clear. When stocks predict recessions, that's a pretty solid indicator historically, but the reverse, the economy indicating what happens with stocks, is it gets pretty hairy and it's not really a great predictor. And I think it's just important to know that stock investors, they're investing uh, based on their bets on the future, and bets can often be wrong. Um, as we all know as economics journalists asking for economist forecasts all the time, but sometimes they're right. Well, we are going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to discuss at what point a stock market route may begin to affect the real economy, despite everything that we just talked about after this break. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity, and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. So I think it, one important uh, development to note in all this discussion about volatility and the stock market and the economy is is what economists are thinking, and especially Federal Reserve economists and leaders at the central bank, how they are approaching this, because they have some very big decisions on their hands this year. They just started their tightening cycle. They are increasing interest rates. And um, in August, back when we had our past episode about China, they were actually prompted to hold off and delay an interest rate increase in September due to some of the volatility that we were seeing. Um, the the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta's president, Dennis Lockhart, said that he is not super concerned that equity turmoil will hurt the U.S. economy. He said if the volatility continues for several weeks, he may have to revise that view. But right now, he doesn't see a connection between financial markets abroad and the real economy here. It's just a matter of how long it lasts. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And an economist that I spoke with on this topic earlier in the week said there's a lot of emotion and angst in the stock market. And sometimes sell-offs can become a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. And it may create these less than ideal economic conditions. So let's talk about how that might happen. Or in Lockhart's words, how we might see this uh, financial market volatility translate into the real economy. Again, this is... You kind of get into this sort of circular type of relationship within between all these different things, and I think part of what he's saying is very is very true that uh, 
at some point down the road, yes, if you have stock market weakness, if you have volatility, it's going to uh, it's it's going to cause people to either say, okay, I want to put more money in uh, in in the bank, I want to put more you know cash under my mattress, however you want to think about it. But I would just say that this kind of comes back to the concept of allocation of capital, which is that. If the underlying economy is strong, if you have, because you've got basically two different separate things, you've got volatility in stocks and the underlying economy. So volatility in stocks, they can be very volatile in a very good economic environment. They were for a very long time. And because of that, that doesn't necessarily mean that money coming out of it is going to is, is lost money. What it just means it's going to be put elsewhere. And if the economy is strong, we have the unemployment rate continuing to improve. You have housing continuing to improve, largely a pretty solid economy. Then if people are, are you know are saying, listen, I don't want to get involved in the stock market as it's starting to get volatile, bounce around, they're just going to put that money elsewhere. Hopefully, they'll put it into purchasing items, into purchasing homes rather than stuffing under their bed. But then you come back to the sentiment issue, which is a lot of people now are kind of worried that 07, 08, I mean, you guys, I think, graduated around the same time I did from high school, went to college in 07, 08. My parents were all about, you know, study engineering, get a career that's going to, <laughs> you know, survive whatever happens for the next recession. I mean, people definitely have that in their mindset still. Yeah. Well, let's think about it this way. You know, I have a small brokerage account from the very little money that I managed to save in San Francisco. And... Uh, you know, I take a look at my brokerage account, like maybe once every two weeks or so, and it's been doing pretty poorly because they're mostly in, you know, S&P 500 ETFs and things like that. So it very closely tracks the health of the overall U.S. stock market. And when I see numbers like that, I the next time I think about making a big purchase, like I've been wanting to get my fourth bike, which many people tell me is ex- excessive, but I want a new one. And I think about my brokerage account and how it really has been going down, uh, it makes me think twice about those big purchases. That's right. And about, I think I want to list out some of these uh, stats that I have from the Survey of Consumer Finances from the Federal Reserve. About 49%, so roughly half of households held stock either directly or indirectly in 2013. Which Tori, by the way, is an amazing number because in Japan, I think it's only like 10 or 15. Really? Yeah. In the U.S., it's such a high ratio. Right. Well, most of families that do hold stock do it through a retirement account. So the thinking is if people see their retirement accounts getting hit or like you, Aki, you see your other accounts getting hit, they might pull back in their spending. I mean, even my 401, my measly little 401k account that I have as a 25-year-old is... uh, (laughs) with very little money in it right now, but it sent me like this flashing message at the very top, like a banner message. In light of the recent market volatility, remember that your retirement plan is intended for long-term investment. Attempts to time the market are rarely successful. Is that code for you will never retire? <laughs> I can't relate to guys as I tr- strictly trade high volatility uh, derivatives instruments. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the transmission here is obviously household wealth. People see that their retirement accounts down by however much money. They see their direct holding stock of stocks down by however much money, and they freak out. And they think that's money that they don't have to spend anymore, um, and and they're not going to. They're going to pull back purchases. I also want to talk about tighter financial conditions here because I think this is a really important piece of how a stock market route or stock market volatility in general could affect the real economy. Interesting. Now, tighter financial conditions is uh, is a good topic because 
what we've actually seen is sort of a natural tightening of conditions. So basically, we've been waiting for this first rate hike, and it finally happened, and it was all celebrated, the quarter point that we finally got. But there was a period there, obviously, where tapering was tightening as well. And you saw this sort of happen in credit spreads, and you saw this happen in, in uh, bond markets, that there was a natural sort of tightening of markets in general. Um, what I think it means for the stock market at large, and I think one of the most interesting stories for 2016 will hopefully be the rise in uh, diversification of returns and diversion within the stock market. Uh, sorry, dispersion. So dispersion over the course of the past four years has been very limited. That's just the difference in terms of how each stock returns. Everything's been moving together. So when we talk about you and I, maybe we have a 401k and it kind of stinks when you look at it and it's down, but there's a lot of investors out there that are waiting for volatility and they want to be able to see opportunities for which one stock is distinguished from another. And as you have tighter financial conditions, those companies are going to start to move independently of another. So the theory goes. People have been saying that largely for the better course of 18 months, and it hasn't quite happened. But now that we have these different conditions, you don't have that same upward float of all the boats. Uh, it could make things possibly more interesting and advantageous for investors. Mm-hmm. And let's also remember that at the end of the day, people who have money in the stock market are people who've done relatively well. You know, people who have 401ks, they have like relatively good jobs. And there are a lot of, you know, low income workers out there who have zero money in the stock market. Exactly. So for then it probably doesn't matter that much until it feeds into the real, real economy, like their job prospects deteriorate. Um, but for uh, really rich people, for example, most of uh, their wealth is in equities. So I have a um, stat for you about ninety-two oh, percent of it, of top ten percent earners. When we're, when we're looking at the income distribution, ninety-two percent of them held stocks in twenty thirteen, and for earners in the lower half, that figure is closer to 30%. Another another point we want to address here is uh, uncertainty, obviously. Um, anytime the stock market is bouncing around like this, it, it causes people to kind of take a step back. And also, looking in a broader context, people are continuously wondering what the Federal Reserve is going to do, what its next move is. And if they're kind of uh, wondering, all right, how is the Fed going to think about the stock market? They're going to kind of hold back on any big plans that they may be doing. And if if you're a business and if you're a big business, this is this sort of becomes a problem in terms of your investment plans. And that's where it could start to hit everyday people. Like Aki was saying, um, you know, maybe they're going to wait to hire until some of this volatility shakes out. Back in the slate summer, I guess we'll call August and September, we did see uh, payrolls kind of drop off a little bit. In September, they rose by just 145,000, and that compares with 292,000 in December. So people really did take a step back and kind of gauge where things were going before ramping up hiring again. So guys, let's get to the bottom line here. Should we be worried about what's going in the stock market right now? Depends on your risk profile, but probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> anytime, anytime you have, I think anytime you have quarter over quarter over quarter of year over year decreases in earnings, which we're expected to get the third one um, this 
coming couple of weeks, really, you have to start to look at what's going on. Um, there are a lot of people out there that are pretty bearish um, for reasons that many investors would disagree with. But I think the most sound, simple argument you can make for why you need to start thinking about what's happening in stocks right now is because the underlying picture for companies is not terribly great. It's projected to recover. A lot of it is related to what's happening in the commodity space, what's happening with oil, and what's happening as a result of diverging uh, economic policies around the world and its effect on the dollar. How much of that is temporary is going to be very important, because we're now starting to see it not just happening in energy, but in other stocks as well. Um, and that's going to be very meaningful. Whether or not it's going to mean a bear market, uh, whether or not it's going to mean 10% you know, down this year, or if it's just going to mean more of a stock picker's environment, a stock market that's driven by companies that it really has been the past year, like Netflix, Amazon, uh, innovative companies that separate themselves from the rest of the pack, that's, you know, is another result here. So, But um, it doesn't necessarily mean that our economy is going down the toilet. Exactly. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back again next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com and also on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the other platforms. While you're there, please take a minute to rate and review our show so more people can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter. First, our guest, thank you so much again, Oliver, is at OJ Rennick, R-E-N-I-C-K, OJ like you know who, and at Akiito7, at Tori Stowell for me. See you next week. We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter Alex Sherman, looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and subscribe today. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, Turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.